0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM
1: 89.3. And thanks for joining us on The Washington Report. Some of the headlines we're looking at today tragedy in Hollywood, which is topping the agenda this week. Actor Alec Baldwin shot a prop gun on a film set over the weekend, killing the film cinematographer, Helena Hutchins. A police investigation, of course, now underway there.
0: And closer to home, we'll be talking about the new U.S. Ambassador to Singapore, Jonathan Kaplan. So he had just his hearing before the Senate to be confirmed. So we'll talk about who he is and what we can expect from him.
1: And of course, President Joe Biden's Build Back Better infrastructure bill is being trimmed down. Which plans will get cut before the deadline this week?
0: And of course, uh, President Biden in a bit of a gaffe Involving Taiwan. So this was in a CNN town hall and he was responding to a question. He said the US would come to Taiwan's aid if... It were attacked by China, so of course you can expect the reaction coming through from China on that. So a bit of clarification from what the White House said that there was no change to its existing policy. Of course, uh, for more, we'll speak with Norma Gosh, She is our U.S. bureau chief for the Straits Times.
1: Now, Norma, good morning. And uh, first of all, we have to return to the story that we led with today: the Alec Baldwin shooting. The his involvement in this shooting. It is really hard to ignore this story. The prop gun used in the fatal shooting had reportedly misfired before on the set. So, of course, immediately our minds go to the prop masters on the film set, right? Who would be responsible for prepping the weapon correctly? Uh, Tell us more about where we're at right now in terms of the progress of investigations.
2: Hi there. Good morning. Well, we are still waiting for an official result. But meanwhile, a couple of reports have come out in the media. Now, there is supposed to be a system of checks and balances before any actor picks up a prop gun. And this obviously did not happen. And at least one report said a staff member had called out that it was a cold gun, meaning it did not have live rounds in it before handing it over to Alec Baldwin. Earlier, there had been some complaints about lack safety as well. Apparently five days before this shooting, Alec Baldwin's stunt double accidentally fired two live rounds after being told the gun he was using did not have any ammunition. And apparently some crew had even walked off the set over some related issue. Now, these details are still hazy, but we will soon hear more. But what we can tell from all this is there are serious questions. A picture is emerging of a somewhat shambolic operation that culminated in this terrible lapse.
0: All right, normal. Closer to home, we've got, of course, Singapore soon to welcome its new U.S. Ambassador, Jonathan Kaplan. Now, he, he had a confirmation hearing before the U.S. Senate state stateside, and he has some bold plans in mind for when it comes to a sunny island. So what do we know about him and what are some of these bold moves we could see from him? Yes, so Mr. Kaplan, needless to say, is a super bright
2: person in his early 50s. Already, he is a successful serial entrepreneur and broadband internet Philanthropist, A person of eclectic interests, he got a degree in industrial management from Carnegie Mellon University. But the list of companies in the tech field that he has started or worked with is very interesting. He was chairperson and CEO of a company called Pure Digital Technologies, where he invented and marketed the revolutionary flip video camera. And when Cisco Systems acquired Pure Digital, they made him senior vice president and general manager of Cisco's consumer products division. In 2010, he won the Ernst & Young Northern California Entrepreneur of the Year Award, which is a big deal. And currently, he is chairman of Education Superhighway, a nonprofit that works to bring broadband internet to public school classrooms. So at the Senate hearing, he said, if confirmed, he plans to strengthen our bilateral trade relationship and advance an economic agenda that promotes shared prosperity, further secure economic resiliency and access to supplies, and work closely with Singapore to tackle the climate crisis. And if confirmed, he said, I look forward to the opportunity to strengthen our security cooperation and defend the rules-based international order, which has supported peace and prosperity in the Pacific region. Now, that was, of course, what he would say. That was a formal foreign policy statement, even though he has little or no foreign policy experience. But he is seen as a positive choice. Given his record, he would be a natural for Singapore's tech crowd, Singapore being a leader in technology and also things like urban greening, water treatment and so forth. With a mind like his, he's an ideas man and also an implementer. With a mind and energy like his, it wouldn't just be U.S.-Singapore relations in the geopolitical realm, but a lot more besides. So apart from the routine issues, and that would include talking about freedom in Singapore, which is also part of the standard toolkit. Apart from those, one can expect a vibrant multi-sectoral dialogue that will reflect the nature of singapore's diverse and multi-level relationship with the u.s and vice versa this podcast is available on our audio app that's a w-e-d-i-o like us and rate us and now back to our podcast episode
1: now, Normal, something else that we've been watching all morning as well. The Democrats being even closer on the U.S. social spending bill. Of course, they are narrowing their differences on this, and people are saying we are quite close to achieving this. But, It looks like some plans are going to get cut from the original spending lineup. You know, over months of infighting over President Joe Biden's $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill, where are we at now? What are those items that might be cut? What is the rationale for getting them cut?
2: Right. So there are two bills here. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Sunday morning said Democrats are planning to have an agreement on a framework for their social safety net plan and uh, vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Both of them this week. The 10 year social spending plan was originally priced at three point five trillion dollars. ...intended to drive a significant expansion in education, healthcare and childcare support... ...plus tackling the climate crisis and making further investments in infrastructure. But it had raised concerns among moderate Democrats that the package was going too far and would be too costly. So the figure being cited now is $2 trillion. So on Sunday morning, she said 90% of this first bill, the social spending, has been agreed to and written. She said it was less than what they originally wanted, but it is still the biggest thing ever done to address the needs of working families and the climate change threat, which of course cuts across health and jobs and is also a security issue. And she signaled that they are also on track to have this done before the president goes to Europe on Thursday to attend the G20, which is important. Now what's not in the bill is an increase in corporate taxes. This is because Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema objects. But Nancy Pelosi did say a billionaire's tax and better tax enforcement could be part of the final package. Another thing not in the bill is two years of tuition-free community college. As for the infrastructure bill, it has to be agreed and passed by October 31 before an extension of funding of billions of dollars for surface transportation expires. Now, this is a separate $1 trillion bill that has already been approved by the Senate and is waiting for a vote in the House before it can be signed by President Biden, who over the weekend was at home in Delaware meeting with Senators Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer. Joe Manchin wanted the bill to be reduced, wanted the, the social spending bill to be reduced to $1.5 trillion, and negotiating a compromise with him and with Senator Sinema, has been quite a challenge.
0: Now, Norma, let's move on to something thing, a little more complicated. President Biden apparently misspoke when commenting on Taiwan and how the US has a commitment to come to Taiwan's aid if the island would be attacked by China. So the White House later clarified that this did not mean a change in its original policy on Taiwan. So, Norma, what is the official US stance on Taiwan and what led to confusion in the first place? U.S.-Taiwan relations come under the Taiwan Relations Act of April
2: 1979, which specifies exactly what the people of Taiwan can and cannot expect from the United States. But the so-called strategic ambiguity that prevails today comes from that act as well. And A lot of people believe that maintaining this strategic ambiguity is important to maintain the status quo in the region. So Washington has basically left it open whether the United States would come to Taiwan's aid with a military intervention should mainland forces attack. America's posture toward Taiwan's security is reflected in two of the act's declarations. Recognition of Beijing rests upon the expectation that the future of Taiwan will be determined by peaceful means. And any action to the contrary would be of grave concern to the United States. According to this act, the United States shall maintain the capacity to resist any resort to force or other forms of coercion that would jeopardize the security or social or economic system of the people of Taiwan. Again, shall maintain the capacity to resist any resort to force. Now, President Biden's initial remark a few days ago that the US was committed to Taiwan's defense in case of an attack, as you say, was later clarified. But he repeated it at a CNN town hall last Thursday when asked whether the United States was willing and able to defend Taiwan in the event of an attack by China. Biden answered yes and yes. And in a roundabout manner, he warned that China should not make a serious mistake.
1: Now, Normal, as we expected, Beijing has responded negatively to Biden's comments, of course, warning him to speak cautiously about the issue. How do you think Biden can contain Beijing's anger in this case and how Taiwan has responded to Biden's comments as well?
2: Taiwan has reacted cautiously. A Taiwanese security official told lawmakers last week that the odds of war with China in the next year are very low. Here in DC, it is widely seen as a gaffe by President Biden to be so categorical when that level of particular commitment is not the case under that act. But I don't think there is any mood in Washington to contain Beijing's anger. The Taiwan issue is seen as d biggest potential, apart from the South China Sea, the biggest potential arena for some kind of clash with China. And the U.S. is very cognizant of that and would make it clear that there are lines which should not be crossed, but without being as categorical as President Biden was.
1: Thanks very much for that, Nirmal. Nirmal Ghosh, our U.S. Bureau Chief at The Straits Times.